Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spiders. So this one's going to be a little bit shorter probably than my normal podcast. And just to fill people in what's going on, we have a baby shower going on today. And I thought I was going to be able to get the podcast done before the actual event. But the other, basically it's my son's having his first kid. And they, the other family came over early, kind of surprised us a little bit to help set up. So I, we went out to set everything up. So now I'm trying to squeeze the podcast in before everybody shows up. So unfortunately, poor planning on my part as far as I really wanted to do. I had a couple topics I wanted to cover today. So what we'll probably do is one, but I didn't want to miss it. And I got a funny feeling that after all the, you know, socialization and hobnobbing after, you know, of this event coming up, I'm going to be too exhausted to sit down and do one of these. So we're going to try to squeeze it in and we're going to trim it down a little bit, but at least we'll get one out there. So for today's topic, we are going to be talking about Omothymus velocipes or the hobby staple Singapore blue. This is one of the species that a lot of folks will see pictures of when they first start researching the hobby, get excited about. I was the same way. And then what ends up happening is they find out that they are considered to be one of the true, we'll put true in quotes because we could debate this all day long, but one of the true advanced or expert level species. And it's for a few reasons. Number one, this is a large spider. Adult females can reach a gangly eight. I've heard nine inches. I think eight is probably a little more realistic. So that's a big, big gangly spider. They are also fast and potentially defensive old world species, which is something to be taken into consideration. And it's one of the few species that most folks would agree is moisture dependent. We talk about moisture dependency and how some are more adaptable than others. This is one of the species I wouldn't play around with and give it dry substrate or give it a dry environment. They require that moisture. And we put those three things together and you've got a spider that could be a nightmare for a beginner on several different levels. Now, I'm not going to get into, I know what will happen is I will do this podcast and people will come on and go, this was my first spider. That's awesome. And I'm not going to discount that you picked it up as your first spider. I'm not going to discount that you had a very easy time with it at all. But I think for the majority of folks that are just getting into the hobby, this is one that they're not going to want to play around with, at least at first. You want to get some experience under your belt, keeping moisture dependent species and keeping some of those fast old worlds or fast arboreals. So I picked up my first three in, I believe it was late 2000, fall of 2015. At that point, there were about an inch inch or so slings. And this was back again when I was buying multiples of every spider I got because I was trying to go for a female. And in this case, it actually panned out. So what I originally kept them in back in this stage, I wasn't using dram vials or anything. I put them in 32-ounce deli cups. And in retrospect, it's something I would do again. I know some of these ones I've been rethinking over the years, like, hey, I probably should have started in something a little smaller. These guys do grow rather quickly. I'm actually working on a video of my fastest growing tarantulas. And I had already done the podcast of it. And Oviolosophies is definitely on this list because they are fast growers. You want to use a 32-ounce or something around that size because you want something that offers some height. First and foremost, this is technically, not technically, it's considered an arboreal species. However, like many of the arboreal old world tarantulas, they start off being very, like these guys are almost fossorial. There are some that'll do some digging, they'll make some dirt curtains, mine dug like right down to the bottom, like say a C. lividus, that level of burrowing. So keep in mind when you set these guys up, what I encourage people to do and why I like the taller containers is give them several inches of moist substrate. You don't want to scrimp on this. You don't want to, I've seen some people set up the arboreal species and they put like a half inch of substrate in there. Uh Uh-uh. 
There's two reasons for this. Number one, they are going to burrow. We want to make sure that you give your spider enough room to burrow down so it's safe and secure. Granted, you're not going to see it as much, but it's going to feel a little bit more confident, a little more comfortable in its surroundings, and you won't have a situation where you pop the top off it and you get a scared spider. Number two, when dealing with moisture-dependent species, one trick is to make sure that you pack in a deep amount of substrate because what happens is if you pack it in nice and moist and pack it way down, that substrate holds on to moisture a lot longer. You don't have to be as obsessive with trying to keep the substrate moist because I think for a lot of people when they first start keeping moisture dependent species they think a all the substrate has to be wet at all times and that's not the case and I did this myself. When I first started keeping them I would see the top would start drying out like oh god it's drying out and I'd pour more in not recognizing that the spider is burrowed down to the bottom parts of the substrate where it is nice and moist. So it can dry out a little bit on the top. And what this does is help prevent to get, you know, if God forbid you miss a bolus or something, you don't get the mold outbreak or anything like that. And then the bottom levels stay moist. So that's something to keep in mind that putting in a little extra substrate helps you in the long run because you don't have to be as obsessive. And what you do is you watch the side. So picking in a closure that allows you to see the difference in color between the moist substrate and the dry substrate can be kind of important because you can look at it and you can see that line of pale versus darker moisture substrate that demarks where that line is, where it's starting to dry out in the top. So if that line gets too low, then you want to go in, make it rain, add some moisture to it, and then allow it to dry out a bit in between. So a lot of times on my videos, you'll see I'll put something like I moisten it down and let it dry out a bit in between. I don't let the entire thing dry out and I should make that very clear. What I do is I let the top level dry off, uh, dry out a little bit. And then when I see that line get big, so say I have two inches of substrate on it and I'm starting to notice that that top line's getting down like an inch or more, and then it's time to add some more water. So a little trick there, you do not want to scrimp on the substrate with these guys, expect them to dig, but still, I always encourage people set them up like arboreals just in case. However, could you get away with setting them up as a fossorial? Yes, I honestly think you could. And I've had a couple species I've kept over the years that were arboreal that I set up as fossorials early on and it worked out perfectly. They dug, they didn't use the arboreal part of the setup. However, where it could run into, where you could run into trouble with that is if you don't leave space up top and you don't give them that opportunity or that the space to live arboreally, you may have one that doesn't burrow and starts to web up top. And then you have a situation where they web all up. And every time you open that enclosure, you aggravate and scare and startle the spider and get that defensive behavior. So I always encourage people like a 32 ounce deli cup, two and a half inches or so of substrate, maybe even three, two and a half would do moist substrate, then set up the little piece of cork bark, leaned at an angle, then put a little sub, put a little moss behind the cork bark, put a little moss around there. So it's got a place to hide. And usually what they'll do is they'll go right behind that cork bark. They'll dig down, build a little uh, burrow underneath. And one thing to note when you're doing the rehousings is that they will create these little, I like to call them little silk socks where they will go dig their tunnel and surround the whole tunnel, line the whole tunnel with a thick layer of webbing, which is like a sock. So when you go to try to dig them out, some species you go to dig them out, the spider's just in there, a little bit of webbing, you pull the dirt away and the spider's there and it's fine. With these silk socks, what you'll have is a situation where as you go to dig them out, you will find that they're in this like, literally, it's like a silk sock. I mean, it's one of the reasons we call it a silk sock. It kind of fits. And it can be one of those things that if you're not aware of, it can be difficult to find the spider. I don't really worry about if you have a situation where you're trying to rehouse one. 
and you find that sock and you expose it and the spider's in it, just take the whole thing out and drop it in the new enclosure. It's probably the easiest way to go. It's kind of contained. In the past, I've tried to get them out of the sock and what you end up with is a bolting spider. So if you can get them out, they will. Honestly, obviously what'll happen is if you take the sock out, the ends will kind of pinch off where they originally lined the dirt, but the spider can get itself out of that. So not a big deal, but something to be aware of because it does when you're rehousing one and all of a sudden you find that sock, you can see it can be, it can make things a little stressful because you're not quite sure where the spider is. You can't really see it really well because the silk is so thick and has some dirt on it. So just a heads up there. So as slings, mine were very, very, and this is going to be the theme of this entire thing. And, and, and it's going to be kind of my heads up to people that see this spider and think, I want one of these. It's beautiful. I want to see it all the time. They are one of the shyest species I have ever raised. So as slings, I never saw mine out. I'm sure people will have other experiences. And obviously one of the fun parts of posting these up, whether it be a video or on Facebook is that people can chime in with their own experience. And I love that because folks can listen to what I say, but then they can get kind of a broader view of what other people have experienced. Mine were very, very shy. We put them in the 32 ounce deli cup. I never saw them. I just know I would drop prey items in and the prey items would disappear. At the time I was feeding them small crickets and small red runner roaches. I was not having to use pre-kill. They were hunting these. I assume no problem. I never, what would happen is I'd drop one in. I check later on the thing was gone. So they were eating fine. One of the issues with them, or not issues, but one of the things that made it a little tricky is I, because I never caught them out, you couldn't tell how fast they were growing. So for a while, I was probably dropping in prey items that were much too small for the spider that was in that enclosure because I had no idea how big it is. So sometimes you err on the side of caution, you drop in smaller roaches, but one day I did open it and I found one on the top and it was about two and a half inches long and I realized, oh boy, A, these guys need bigger food and B, they need bigger enclosures. So what I ended up doing is after about, I think it was around the six month mark or so, so we're talking about, you know, mid 2016 or so, I ended up moving them into these Sterilite containers. There were bins that were about eh, nine inches by eight inches by about eight inches deep or so, probably around the two gallon size. They offered a bit more room. So I set them up again, a lot of deep substrate, moist substrate, probably about five inches or so. And put the cork bark leaned up at the top, which they didn't seem to care about. They went behind the cork bark and they dug down. They had water dishes. And that's something important too that I didn't mention earlier. This is a species that with slings, if you've got them in the larger enclosures and if it'll permit it, definitely include the water dishes. That's something, again, if it starts to dry out too much and we always... There's always those instances where sometimes you don't realize things have dried out as much as they have, but if you keep a water dish in there, the spider has the option to go out and find water to hydrate itself, and a lot of them will use it. So make sure you have the water dishes in there. But for the first juvenile enclosure, and I'll explain this in a moment, we had you know four or five inches moist substrate, little starter burrow. We had the cork bark leaned up. I put some sphagnum moss behind it and a nice big water dish for it. And all three of them immediately went into the new enclosures. They dug down once again, did not see them at all for quite a while. And then one day, lo and behold, it was about right around the year mark or so, just over the year mark, probably around 14 months or so, I opened up the top of the, one of the enclosures and there was a big green gangly male there. And I was like, oh no, first one is a male. So this is one of the faster growing species I've had because right around, you know, again, it was a little over a year, but within a year, the males matured and it was big. It was about probably five inches or so overall, maybe five and a half big, again, gangly. They are sexually dimorphic. So if you get a male, it's pretty obvious once they molt out because again, they are green where the females obviously have those blues and purples. So the first one molted out male about two months later, the second one molted out once again, male. So I had two mature males 
Both of them lived for quite a while afterwards. I'd say probably about six to eight months afterwards they were doing okay. I had one that I thought I was going to be able to send out for a breeding loan, but I lost. The guy never got back to me and we never got it anywhere. So they grow very quickly. That's something to keep in mind. And were I to do this again, I might go right from the 32-ounce deli cup to an adult enclosure. That's something, as long as you hit that three-inch mark or so, they'd probably be fine in there. Uh, instead, I went into something that was a little smaller because I was, again, underestimating how quickly they were going to grow, and they didn't last too long in those enclosures, and I had to kind of rehouse the males into something bigger for the final months of their lives. Now, the third one, I have a video up of this one. It was actually a little trivia. It was the first video that Billy ever filmed for me or did the recording. I used to have my kids help me out, but I did not want the kids anywhere near the spot. And we actually did it in the garage because between the kids and the dogs, I just didn't want that extra distraction. So that's one of the first videos you look up, Omathymus VLRL. I think at that point it was Lampropelma Velocipes rehousing. Then that was the first one Billy ever helped me on, which is pretty cool. And we got it out. You can see the whole rehousing, how it went. You do have to dig them out. I think she did have a dirt sock. And we say she because this was the one I figured the other two molted out. And it was several months later. And I was hoping this one would be female. We got her into a new enclosure, which was one of the hanging file boxes made by Sterilite. I used to use these a lot for my arboreals. They're probably around three and a half gallons or so, maybe closer to four gallons. And we set it up this time. There was less substrate, and I do regret this, and this is where I kind of screwed up setting it up. I did not put in as much substrate as I probably should have because at this point, I figured she was getting older. She was going to start showing her arboreal tendencies more. And so why bother putting a whole bunch of dirt in there when she's just going to be out in the surface? Well, I miscalculated because A, she still continued to dig. She went right behind, dug right down to the bottom of the enclosure, built a little den underneath the cork bark. I did my typical arboreal setup where I had the cork bark lean to the 45 degree angle, you know, the sphagnum moss behind it, big water dish, a plastic plant that I bought from Petco to give her a little coverage around it. It was a nice little setup and she went right behind it, dug everything up. And unfortunately, not only did I, I gave probably about three inches of substrate in it around there, but I found that after it dug, it dug so deeply that there really wasn't enough dirt in there to kind of hold the moisture. So it was drying out much too quickly, which I was not pleased with. So I was having to do maintenance much more often, make it rain much more often than I probably should have had to had I just put like, I don't know, looking back at it, probably would have put at least five inches of substrate in there, nice and more uh, moist, tapped it all down nice and tight. Because again, the tighter and denser it is, the longer it takes for the water to evaporate out of it. I also used regular topsoil and didn't add a lot of vermiculite to it. And what happens with regular topsoil, topsoil is fantastic until it completely dries out. And what happens is it kind of shrinks up. And then when you try to re-add water and rehydrate it, the water tends to puddle up on the top. And even when you dump water and make it rain around the sides of the enclosure and let it run down, it doesn't soak down as much as you, I would like. Or, so it was a combination of shallow substrate. What I used, it kind of dried up. It became difficult to keep hydrated. I was having to constantly pull the top off and add more water to it. So I really was worried about the spider after a little while, after, especially after it started to put on some size. So about a year later in 2017... We went ahead and rehoused it into what it's in now, which was an extra large critter keeper, which was much bigger than the thing I was the other thing I was using. It had at least I think the extra large critter keepers are closer to five gallons or so. A lot of room. Put again, I don't think I put enough substrate in it. I it, this is one of those deals that live and learn. And back when I first started keeping some of the arboreal species, I my 
thought process was they're going to outgrow this burrowing behavior. They're going to, everybody says it, they're arboreal spiders. They will outgrow the burrowing behavior. They will be out and about. I will see it sitting right on that cork bark, all picturesque like. I'll be able to get some footage of it. Not the case. That spider has been one of the shyest and most elusive tarantulas I have ever caught. To date, I have three pieces of video featuring this spider. So I picked up in 2015. It's now 2021. I have video from the first time I rehoused her or the second time I rehoused her, the third time I rehoused her into that extra large critter keeper. We obviously got some footage of her there. And then I caught her out once where I believe I have 20 seconds of video. That is all I've seen of her. I can barely see her in her burrow. She continued to burrow when I moved her into the extra large critter keeper and is continuing to be incredibly shy and to stay out of sight. So again, Again, that container I set up exactly the same way I did the other ones. It was like three inches of substrate, although I did put in a mixture. I mixed in some cocoa fiber, vermiculite, I think a little peat to try to give a base substrate that would absorb water a little bit better. Because again, make it easy on yourself. I know some people are like, just dump in the topsoil, just dump in the cocoa fiber. Your best bet is to play around with a mix that not only holds onto the moisture well, but absorbs that moisture well. Because what will end up happening is you'll use a substrate mix that works, that starts off great. You pour you put the substrate in, it's holding the moisture, it starts to dry out little by little, finally it comes time to add the moisture, and you end up with mud puddles on the top, and what ends up happening sometimes with the mud puddles is the majority of that water evaporates before it can sink down and percolate down through the enclosure. Uh, so mixing vermiculite, or uh, another thing I've used lately is shredding, I get New Zealand sphagnum moss, these big bags of it, and I shred it, and I mix that in with it, that absorbs the water, keeps little moisture pockets in there. I used to do something where I would put a layer of vermiculite on the bottom of the enclosure, so like a half inch or so and when I poured water down it would percolate through and that moisture that level at the bottom of vermiculite would absorb all that moisture and really kind of hold it there which worked great so that's a trick but just keep in mind when keeping those moisture dependent species substrate becomes more important or the mixture of substrate becomes a little more important because it can make your life a lot easier so she's been in this extra large critter keeper since 2017 now and it's come time I want her into something better and bigger so what I've got is one of the 12 by 12 by 18 inch exoterra i believe it's like nano tall exoterra mini tall or mini or something like that they really confusing names for those because they have ones that are called mini they're bigger than the other ones Anyway, it's the 12 inch by 12 inch by 18 inches tall and what i'm going to do with that one is set it up with a plant in it so and with a lot more substrate. So I'm going to angle the substrate. So hopefully we get like about five or six inches of substrate in the back that'll angle down to about four inches or so in the front. We will do a cork bark tube this time around that will go down into the substrate. I will fill that cork bark tube with some sphagnum moss so it's nice and moist and tight. Because keep in mind, one of the tricks, we put these hides in with tarantulas and I'll get people going like, I put a hide in and the tarantula's not using it. If the hide is too big and offers too much space, so if it's like a giant amphitheater, a lot of times we use like the half of the cork bark rounds and we stick them in there and there there's a lot of space the tarantula doesn't register that as cozy they want a spot that they can just barely slip into dig out a little bit and make their home so sometimes packing up some dirt around it to leave a smaller entrance or shoving some sphagnum moss around with a little hole in the middle of it they can go into that they'll start digging they'll web up that sphagnum moss they'll web up the dirt and they'll be much more secure and more likely to use that hide so i will do a situation where she'll have the round and then i want like a pothos plant or some type of palm some type of plant in there that will hold some moisture's in the roots. I will not be going full bioactive. I want to make that clear. There's a big difference between putting plants in with tarantulas and keeping the plants alive and doing a bioactive enclosure. What I've been doing more of lately is kind of putting a plant in with them and keeping the plant alive, not the full bioactive. Full bioactive is a little more involved. 
However, I will add the fixings. It'll have the leaf litter. I'll have some springtails in it. I am going to keep this one more moist. And for folks who are interested in creating actual true bioactive enclosures, this would be a species that would probably be a good fit. I think a lot of times we try to force the bioactive thing and we go, all right, I'm just going to, I'm going to set up a, an aquarium or set up a tank that's going to be hospitable to these plants I'm trying to keep alive, but maybe not thinking about what the spider needs. We say, you know, that's the trick of doing these. It has to be a spider that's going to work well with it. At least that's my belief on them now. And this would be a good situation where if you're going to create one of the more, you know, humid environments that are created by creating a true bioactive. This is a species that would probably do well with it. You just got to make sure you obviously have the ventilation, some plants in there, some cleaner insects. So for those looking for a species to do it with, this would be one. Maybe I'll go full bore with the bioactive and do the drainage tank in the end. We'll see. I'm just afraid with a species that has, or a specimen that has done a lot of burrowing for me that I'm going to put her in this new one. She's going to burrow down to the screen that separates, you know, the drainage layer from the top layer and it's going to be a mess. So we'll see how it goes. But this is one that I kind of eyed for a more extravagant, a more closer to a bioactive enclosure for her. So that will be coming up. We're trying to, I want to find some pothos. Apparently pothos are like really difficult to find lately. I used to find them all the time around here and I went to my local garden shops and my home depots and ever, and I want to get some and clean them off, replant them and allow, make sure, you know, one of the things you want to make sure with the plants is that there is no pesticides on them. So you want to clean them off, plant them, let them grow and get all that stuff out of them, but I haven't been able to find any. So we'll see what other kind of plants I can find that might work in there. But I do want to set them up and get some, you know, footage of her. I don't even know how big she is. She stopped eating about two months ago. So I'm assuming she's in pre-molt right now. And I can kind of just barely, the best I can do is if I shine a light through the side, the back of the critter keeper, I can sometimes catch a glint of blue of her legs, but she usually retreats down deeper into the burrow and doesn't come out. She is not out and about. And I want to make that very clear because what happens is people see pictures of beautiful spiders and they picture these spiders being on display all the time in their rooms, in their collections. I've had people, oh, I can't wait. I want to get a Ovialazapes, they're gorgeous. I can't wait to set up a really nice setting and see the spider out there. They're very, very shy. And that needs to be keep, uh, kept in mind because for somebody who is looking for a showcase spider, at least in my experience, this is not going to be it. When you do catch it out, which for me, again, one time in about, I'm thinking pushing about three years now that I've actually caught her out and about. When you do catch them out, it's amazing. But it's for me, it's been fleeting. Maybe when I'm, I'm hoping what's going to happen is I'm going to set her up an enclosure that's not only going to offer a little more depth, it's not only going to offer a lot more height, but there's going to be plants in it. And one thing that I've noticed and I've had other people that have chimed in on, which I appreciate, they've said that when they put a lot more plants into their whether it be fake plants or real plants into their tarantula enclosures with some of the shy species, the shy species will venture out more. So what I'm going to be looking to do is set something up where there's enough coverage and enough foliage to offer hiding spots that mine might venture out more and we might get more pictures of her. Because again, when I saw her, she was stunning. These guys, they're a bluish purple. They're just absolutely breathtaking spiders, long gangly legs, just so cool looking, but you just don't see them all that much. So obviously when that time comes to move her, I will do an update on this, let everybody know how it goes, and obviously there'll be a video of it, which should be a whole heck of a lot of fun to record, because again, I'm going to have to, I'm hoping what's going to happen, the way she is, the way she has constructed her burrow, it's, she dug down deep, but the top of the burrow is basically the cork bark, so I should be able to peel up that piece of cork bark, 
quickly drop a cup over and get her into the new one without a lot of digging. At least that's how I'm hoping it goes down. Obviously, if she's got the web sock in there, that's going to complicate things because when I go to peel that piece of cork bark up, it's going to rip up that webbing, which is going to freak her out. Or she might end up stuck to the web sock, to the cork bark. These are the things you have to mull over before you do a rehousing like this. Think of all the possibilities. And that is one that that cork, I might pull that cork bark up and she might stay stuck to it with the webbing. We'll see how it goes. In that case, I might just pick up the whole piece of cork bark and put her in there. But I really see this as my one shot to get some footage of her. So I'm hoping I can get some shots or Billy can get some shots of her out and about. So as far as humidity, we don't measure humidity in our enclosures. I don't do that, but just keep in mind, this is a species you don't want to play around with. You want to make sure they have a nice full water dish and you want to make sure that the lower levels of that substrate remain moist at all times. And you want to make sure you have good ventilation so you don't get a dank, stuffy enclosure. As far as temperatures are concerned, this was one of the spiders that I got back when the temperatures in the tarantula room during the winter time would dip down into the 60s, the high 60s. When I got her in 2015, there was no extra heat in that room and she was a sling and she still grew very quickly and the males still grew very quickly even though they had kind of colder weather so that's something to keep in mind people will talk about that they require a certain high elevated temperature to hear people say you know ideal temperature 85 degrees ideal temperature 80 degrees they may grow more quickly with that i don't see how they could grow much more quickly than mine already did but you do not need to keep your temperatures that high as far as eating mine have always been great eaters although i never see any of them eat this one now basically i drop in a bunch of large crickets i come back a couple hours later the large crickets are gone for babies for little slings i would feed them small crickets small roaches when mine i rehoused them the next time when they were about three inches or so it was totally full i dropped full large crickets in there and they ate them fine and now as an adult mine eats large crickets i've even dropped a dubia in a couple times although mine the first time i dropped it in i found the dubia later on and she hadn't eaten it the second time the dubia ran right into her den and she ate it and i never saw it again so they would obviously you could use super worms whatever although i'd be very careful this is not a species i would chance tong feeding i want to make that very clear because they are fast arboreals and if they overshoot the prey item that's at the end of those tongs you could have a spider on your arm and that's something nobody really wants to have happen now as far as temperament is concerned when i first started looking at these guys there was this I don't want to call it rumor. Maybe it happened. I don't know. But one of the things people discussed was this is a spider that will readily attack you fangs bared and they strike twice. That was the big thing that I heard that they don't just bite you once. They tag you twice. I'm guessing that came from somebody must have gotten tagged twice. I'm not going to discount that it might have happened, but I found that mine, if you give it the space to hide, you're not going to see it. You shouldn't be any in any peril as far as dealing with it. They're going to retreat to their burrows. Again, and it involves setting them up correctly. If you give them a cramped setting or you don't give them room to dig or burrow and they're forced to be out in the open, that could be a totally different ballgame. Mine, I don't see it enough. I never feel threatened by it because I never see it. Uh, as far as them striking twice, I don't know. It's Maybe, again, it, it must have happened before, but is that something that you can expect from all of them? I don't know, but they are suspected to have very nasty venom, so it's not something you want to chance a bite with, so you do want to show caution, as you would with any spider or any old world. But overall, mine shy, incredibly, incredibly 
introverted spider. And I've spoken to other people that have reported the same thing. They don't see theirs out a lot. But again, we'll try that little experiment with the new enclosure and see if I can entice her out. This could be on me. And if it's one of those situations where I put her in this new enclosure and suddenly I'm seeing her a lot more than lesson learned, and then there will be an update where I tell people, hey, if you want to see your spiders out, here's what you want to do. You want to set them up in a thing that allows a lot more coverage. I will say when I had her in the Sterilite bin, I did have some vines. I had the plants in there and it didn't seem to entice her out anymore. I never caught her out. But again, this will be a little bit different setup. We'll put a little more, you know, I'm planning on a couple plants in there. We'll see how it goes. And hopefully I see her more because they are stunning spiders. There's a reason why people see these and immediately gravitate toward them. And I'm kind of excited. One of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast is I've been getting a lot of emails from people lately that are picking them up and they're a little worried about them or a little worried about the care and, you know, confused about the fact that they thought they were arboreal, but they seem to be more fossorial. So I figured it would be a good time to cover it for people that are catching, picking them up so that they know exactly what to look for and don't find themselves in a situation where they've set it up wrong and end up with an angry spider. Because we do not want to test that two bite thing. I don't, I don't think anybody wants to be tagged by a spider once, never mind twice, but we don't want to, you know, prove or disprove that. We want to stay safe, keep our hands out of the way and make sure that our spider is comfortable so that we don't have to deal with a large, potentially, you know, eight inch defensive spider. So for those taking notes, the keys to keeping this species, don't scrimp on the substrate. No matter what size they are, give them some deep moist substrate. I don't care if it's a sling. I don't care if it's juvenile. I don't care if it's adult. If it's juvenile, you know, four or five inches of substrate. Adult, four or five inches of substrate at least. More if you can pack it in there. Keep it nice and moist. Watch those lines. Don't bother keeping it super moist all the time. Allow the top to dry out a little bit. When you see that line that shows the moist substrate getting too low, then you add some more in. People ask me, how often do you add water? It really depends. In the summer months, if you're in a place where it's really humid, you're not going to have to add it that much at all. You can probably let it dry out a little bit. You know, Keep the bottom levels moist. They can decide which level of moisture they need, but you won't need to add it nearly as much because it won't evaporate as quickly. Water dishes are important. Set them up like a boreal but give them enough substrate to dig in like fossorial species and you should be just fine and again recognize although they're beautiful spiders if kept correctly you probably won't see them all that often and that's not to say if somebody out there might have a setup exactly like what I'm describing and they see theirs all the time that's awesome please chime in I'd love to hear that people actually see theirs I'm trying to put together the video right now on my fastest growing species and once again I have zero footage of my I have that 20 second clip which isn't enough for my narration and I have some clips that my buddy Charles let me use last time when I talked about the ovioloscopies I think I did it for hobby staplers. I can't remember what I did it for, but I mentioned, oh, it might have been blue spiders and or blue tarantulas. And he let me use some clips because he's got some rehousing clips, but that's about it. I have nothing on these guys. So that's one of the reasons I'm kind of dragging my butt on this video because I know I don't have all the materials I need to put it together. So hopefully we'll get this rehousing done. I'll get some, Billy will get some good shots of it and we can finish that video up. But awesome spiders. I do feel like they're, they're like one of the hobby staples to me. It's like everybody should have one at one point. They've been around when I got in the hobby. They were around. They were popular. They've never seemed to lose popularity. They're one of those ones like, you know, especially as far as the old world's concerned, like an H Mac and OBT, that it seems like everybody should keep at least once when they feel ready or if they feel ready. For folks that are sitting there going, you know what, I'm, I don't even like to mess with old worlds, never mind one that could be that big and could be that venomous and potentially defensive. Totally get it, not forcing anybody to go out and get one. But I'm saying for a lot of people that move into old worlds, this would be one to check out. So unfortunately, it's going to be a shorter one. That's going to do it for this one because I just heard a car roll up the driveway. I'm thinking that the company is starting to show up in a minute. You're just going to hear revelers in the background. So it's probably time for me to go out, get showered, and, and shake some hands and meet some people. We, uh, we're doing it outside at least, and it's an absolutely gorgeous day. So that'll be nice. It'll be, it'll be fun. But 
glad I could finally fit this one in. Again, the two other topics we'll be talking about, a buddy of mine, Adam, uh, messaged me with a really good topic that I want to hit. So Adam, if you're hearing this, we will be covering the topic. I plan on doing it today. We'll get it next week. And the other thing I wanted to talk about is I just picked up my first Linotheli species, and I'm really excited about them. So I was going to talk a little bit about how I set them up and some things I've observed already. So that will be next week. So at least we got a little preview of next week. But unfortunately, that will do it for this one because Tom's got to go socialize. So as always, you can find me on Tom'sBigSpiders.com. You can find me on Tom's Big Spiders on YouTube. As always, thanks so much for taking the time to listen. I truly appreciate it. Hope everybody stays well. Be kind to each other, and we'll catch you all next time.